Hello and welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News, coming to you from the legendary Beehive Studio. I don't know about you, Katie, but uh, you've been away on holiday. I'm feeling back. We're uh, back. I, I, We're back. Recovered. A couple yep. of days off here and there, a bit yep. of sunshine. A couple of days on the beach did, did, was what I needed. Mm. What we've got um, is a government that is moving fairly swiftly, getting its feet under the desk. I mean, I think they've literally been in the beehive themselves for, like, what, like three, three days? days. Yeah. And they're still having, uh, this week I've interviewed a number of those ministers about their plans for the sort of first 100 days and what their priorities are, and there are boxes everywhere. Oh, it'll be shambolic. And many of the ministers, um, uh, particularly on Monday, I was interviewing one who shall remain nameless, who didn't even know how what doors to open to get out of his office. You know, they, they're just... Just being done. There's a lot to learn, yeah, basically. Well. And you can't, you know, it's been nine years since anyone from any Labour t- has any been time in there. That you can never leave. <laughs> you can never, yeah. it's, been, it's been nine years and many of them have never been up in those offices. So, yeah. lot to learn. And it was interesting. So, um, we got some hints. Uh, Several to just much's track from late, uh, late last week. We got some hints that they were going to move pretty quickly on housing. And in particular, that register was one thing they moved pretty quick on. The new government wants more of this for first-time buyers, so it's promising to ban foreign investors from buying existing homes in New Zealand. There's no benefit to New Zealand of allowing people who are not citizens or permanent residents of this country speculating on houses and driving prices higher and higher. But some experts aren't so sure. In Australia, similar policies have been implemented and they've had very minimal impact on the housing market and particularly house prices. From the data that we've got, which does have some flaws, it does suggest that foreign purchases of property are relatively small. When we're looking at the property market here, the really significant buying category is actually the domestic investors in property. Under the coalition agreement, the government's promising to track foreign ownership through a register so there's accurate data. Even a few percent or as much as 10 or 15 percent would make a very significant difference to the demand pressures driving house prices up. Labor also wants to stop all investors, including New Zealanders, from buying houses quickly and flicking them on. At the moment, if you buy a house, sell it within two years and make a profit, you pay a tax. Under the new government, that'll be extended to houses bought and sold within five years. Five years will make a difference. Restrictions on investors are already kicking in. A chunk of that is to do with the loan restrictions that have particularly affected investors and made it more challenging for them to raise the finance. So the market's certainly cooling off. The new minister hoping that'll turn a corner for first-home buyers. Labour has long promised to ban foreigners buying Kiwi houses. Today, after just its first full cabinet meeting, it followed through. The effect of this will mean that non-residents or non-citizens cannot purchase existing residential dwellings in New Zealand. To implement the ban, the Overseas Investment Act will be changed before Christmas so that residential housing is considered sensitive land. However, Australian citizens will be exempt. It's not unusual that we're acting in this way now. It's unusual that this hasn't been done before. The urgency in passing the ban is because Labor's been advised to get it into law before the TPP-11 trade deal is signed next year. The party says the foreign buyers ban won't be in breach of the TPP deal, as National has previously indicated. Their argument was false. Uh, we have found a solution, uh, a way that allows us to act in the best interests of New Zealanders and home buyers in New Zealand. We could have a debate with the lawyers for a long time, but suggest that 
previous government misled. That's just simply incorrect. But with support from its coalition partner and the Greens, Labor's still going to try to renegotiate the TPP at APEC in Vietnam next week. Specifically, the controversial rules around rights for multinational companies that invest in New Zealand. We are going in with the explicit intent to try and remove New Zealand from these clauses. But I will acknowledge it's very difficult at this late stage, it will be difficult at this late stage to achieve that outcome, but that is not going to stop us from trying. Trade experts, however, say the other TPP members aren't likely to be interested. This is a major part of, T of TPP and to put that on the table for renegotiation runs the risk that we open up the whole agreement that will take time and I'm not sure people want to do that at this point. Meanwhile the TPP is likely to be a hot topic of discussion when Ms Ardern sits down with Malcolm Turnbull in Sydney on Sunday. Ms Ardern's visit announced today also likely to touch on the controversial issue of citizenship rights for Kiwis where she has signalled a tougher line than her counterpart. But really, um, the big move on housing, which is part of this whole issue around registers and things and foreign buyers, is this you know, pretty bold political move, I think, on the ban straight after their first yep. cabinet on Tuesday. Yep. And I think this was pretty well orchestrated by them. Um, yep. David Parker came up with the workaround so that they could get um, a ban effectively in place that enables them to not breach all these trade deals, in particular the TPP, um, and they, you know, it's popular. And they, well, they had to move fast because of TPP, because of APEC, uh, because they've talked about this for so long. And you have to think that behind the scenes for the past few months, MFAT and other officials have been working on this, looking at this, because those details they well, came out with... Well, only on as soon as when, surely only once Labor... From people I've spoken to, that, that has well, they been... they saw the writing on they, the wall. Well, they, they knew that it was a possibility. Mm. Whether the writing was on the wall or not, they knew that Labor was going to be asking for this advice if, on the slim chance, Labor got into government. Yeah. They were going to need it, and they needed it fast. So and the question so they, is because this because is really otherwise that advice is all, it could be wrong. I mean, if you only spend a couple of weeks looking into that, there's a possibility that. Well, Jacinda came out swinging, saying that National had misled them and they said that, and um, you know that uh, they couldn't do this and all this sort of stuff, and that they were wrong. Um, maybe National just didn't ask the questions that they wanted or that weren't interested. And didn't want it, the answers. Yeah, they didn't want those answers. Um, but look, I think what's interesting is um, my feeling is that that it's it, what is remarkable is that it. It looks like it will be a left-wing-led government that's going to sign the TPP. Now, albeit America is not there, and that is the was always sort of perceived as the big bad corporate bogey for a lot of the um, opponents of TPP. But still, um, America can come back into it. At, yeah, at any point. And all the the basic fundamentals are there. Now, one thing to note there is that this issue of the investor state um, dispute settlements. Now, this is the clause in the TPP, a very important clause. It's been there from the get-go, which enables uh, countries to sue other countries in the deal if they so are changing like laws. laws that affect their companies, you know. Um, tobacco, companies, tobacco companies. Tobacco companies are the big example, and they, of course, tried that in Australia. Yeah. The big big tobacco companies tried to sue Australia for yeah. plain packaging laws. Failed. Now, the, now, there are some things, look, look, obviously people have, you know, Labor's concerned, and New Zealand First, the Greens are concerned that this could open up more New Zealand companies to being sued over, um, you know, government law changes or, or open up the New Zealand government to being sued. But, of course, it also gives the New Zealand government the right to step in if one of our companies in one of those other countries, you know, has the rug pulled out from under them. So there's advantages there as well. But what the interesting thing is is that Ardern is now saying she will try and renegotiate this. 
And, yes. and, and the question is how serious she is about that. And I don't believe – well, they are – they're serious, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. I think no. they would walk away if they can't get it and say, okay, we tried, there you go, that's it. Uh, my understanding is that they're looking at some sort of, of sort of individual agreements with some of the countries in the TPP, say with Australia, on the side saying, look, this even if this stays, we will not... Do it. Ever, we won't do it. So you go to Australia and Canada and Japan and, and a couple of the other countries mm. that, that are really the ones you, you could possibly have issues with and say, okay, look, let's, you know, let's let's have our own little notes on and, and agree that Which we would be enough, I think, would be enough for them to, um, to move on it and sign. And the thing is, I think what they've got to do, um, I think what a lot of the language um, from Ardern and Parker, um, they've got to look like they are... De- wanting to renegotiate this on the investor state stuff because they have to convince the Greens and New Zealand First that they're serious. And if not New Zealand First and the Greens leadership, then because they'll be realistic, then at least the supporters... Yeah. That they tried. They have to show that they tried to get some movement on that stuff. And the, the TPP has always been a difficult one for Labour because, as we know, there were a number of now former Labour MPs who very much wanted the signed and thought it was a good deal. It's always split the caucus. You know, yeah. the people like Phil Goff and David Shear and others yep. did actually want, did, did believe in the TPP, Clayton Cosgrove. Yep. And so it has always put them in a difficult position. Um, and now they're even more of a difficult position because they have to rely on New Zealand First and the Greens who have always been very opposed to it. And Labour has stood I mean, how many times have we had protests at Parliament or elsewhere where you've had Labour MPs I mean, standing TPP up there really, saying really they were going to sign it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be fascinated to see what sort of reaction they get if they do come back from APEC. And so Jacinda Ardern is going to APEC next week and I'll, I'll be going with her. And so will um, David Parker and Winston Peters. In it, what sort of, if she comes back and says, yep, we've agreed with the other leaders that will... Um, We'll move to a signing in a couple of months' time. They pass the foreign buyers ban. That gets around that issue. We're going to keep talking on the investor state stuff. Boom, and they sign it. I mean, it is quite amazing given the opposition that, that we that saw we on it. for so long, yeah. I think, I mean, I think as, as we started this conversation, but because America's not in it, it does make it easier. And we saw Labor. that with a Conway Brunton poll that we did during the election. I'm pretty sure it was about 55% of New Zealanders were in favour of the TPP with America out. And that was yeah. quite a, that a was a, a bit more of a, I think it was more like 45% with America in it. So I think that you're right, it's had a significant impact. It's taken some of the heat out of it. But hey, I mean, it's not like Japan hasn't got some big companies. Yeah. <laughs> but this is also, so Jacinda Ardern's, I mean, you know, you'll be there at APEC next week, but this is her first sort of big international test. Yeah. And you look at all the international media coverage she's getting, a CNN interview yesterday, uh, and the top rankings in Forbes today and 13th. so forth, 13th on the Forbes list. But this is a test of actually what, what she can do when it comes to policy and as a, as a leader on the international stage. That's quite different from light, fluffy interviews. And oh, yeah. so And so this is, this is something that they know they need to get right. Yep. Yep, and it is, and, and, and I tell you what's also really uh, that is really important. But what is also really important for her in these fledgling days of this government, where people are still getting their heads around this idea, and we haven't seen Peter's much. No. It's interesting is that she has to seize this moment and be very clear as the leader and in charge, and you know. And I think APEC is a really important part of that. Yeah, those photos, um, the the vision of her meeting Trump and other world leaders. Her doing it, she needs to do it well. She needs to be really solid on New Zealand's foreign policy positions, and there's some tricky places to be when you think of the South China Seas, um, you know, North Korea, 
um, TPP. You know, there's some really complex issues there about where New Zealand sits, and then of course with China and the US, and we're sort of in the middle. Um, she won't want to climate change, refugees, climate change. refugees. She won't want to say something wrong. And it's easy to do. Key made the odd gaffe in his early yep. days. You know, it's a really high-pressured environment. She'll be tired. It'll be hot. It'll be stressful. She needs to nail APEC, and that will be as important for her domestic audience, in my view, as is all those other issues she needs to deal with when she's yeah. there. And it's that, that perception, you know, think of all those sort of staged photo ops and events they have to do, you know, how, how she's going to look shirts. and feel that she's going to have to wear those silly shirts. <laughs> I don't know how she'll feel about that. Hey, but she, but she, will be, she will benefit from being kind of um, yeah. the newbie on the scene. I mean, Key must have done what? Apex. I mean, he was. He he actually yep. became one of the longest serving leaders. Sort of Apex. He, he was very experienced, and to be fair, very good at it. By the end of it, he really and those was are, good as on you the world said, stage. tiring events. I mean, we know as journalists covering them, and you know those leaders are rushing to meet from one leader to another. It's all very staged. You're in these big compounds where they have to meet in these little tiny rooms, yeah. and they call you know, them. They, they call them pull-asides. So this is what she's likely to get with. With Trump, it's um. Maybe but, this, is, this is actually a diplomatic term. So, so, so they won't get a. You know, you can imagine. You will have seen those photos where they sit down at a table and they've got little flags and they have all their little nice mineral waters yeah. and everything set up Mince, face to face, and they do this. They do this. Chocolates. You know, they do these opening remarks, and then all the media gets ushered in and out. Um, it won't probably be that. You're right. It'll be in a tiny little cubicle thing, and it'll be they call it a pull aside, and they get ten minutes. Yeah, so you get ten minutes, and she'll have. They will. She'll be they'll briefed have written on, open remarks that yeah. have already been. Yeah, prepared. yeah, and they'll be like, and New Zealand will have. She'll have like three things they'll have to, to hit, and it, you know it'll be like I don't know what it will be. Trade, you know, China, North Korea, whatever. She'll have three things, and and she'll have to rip through them real yeah. fast. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, often you might not even get a, an opportunity to get photos of it either in, in those situations. No, you know, no, we'll probably that, get that sent to... We'll you get sent yep. photos and that can be up to, to sort of... The, often it's the bigger country that gets to decide how all that works. And I'll make a prediction. Yeah. I will be at APEC and I will not see Donald Trump and he will be oh. there the whole time. He'll be, he will, he will be, be interesting to see at APEC. He will be completely isolated from all the other media. Yep. He will be ushered in somehow. They will get him in there somehow and he will do. He's doing a speech to the CEO's leaders summit. He'll do some, but but there'll be no press conference or anything, and it'll be, it'll be out. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine. I'd be surprised. Could be could be could be otherwise. It's his massive trip for Trump. It's like his biggest. He's away in Asia for ten days. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've gone off topic a bit. <laughs> we have, but uh, let's go back to um, let's go back to housing. Um, we'll have a listen. Have a listen to this track that uh, our wonderful producer Adam has found from back in the day about when interest rates were um, at 20%. That'll make your eyes water, wouldn't it? <laughs> 20%. Have a listen. Right now, we're looking at mortgage interest rates that, as one lender told us, would have been thought unreal a matter of months ago. From the government-directed level of election time, 11% on new first mortgages, most of the major lenders have increased their rates three or four times since. Now the 14 major lending institutions we asked want rates ranging from 15 to 20% for such mortgages. As a rough guide, a $30,000 mortgage for 20 years at a flat 14% would cost around $80 a week and would go up $6 a week for every percentage point increase in the rate. Even at present rates, demand for funds are described in terms such as steady, heavy, extremely high, right through to insatiable. And in Auckland and Wellington at least, the Real Estate Institute says there's been no decline in the number of house sales. Borrowers, it seems, are looking to see if they can manage the payments now, rather than the longer term, 
maybe cutting spending on other things, or acting in the belief that things will get worse, so it's better to be in now. Lender forecasts of what rates are likely to do range from they're close to their peak now to they'll go higher and are unlikely to drop for a year to 18 months. Well, I think significantly nobody is predicting a fall in interest rates in the short term. Our view is that interest rates uh, will climb to around 20% within the next uh, six months before they begin to fall. Um, the only reason they're likely to fall, um, as we see it, is the, the demand for funds actually uh, drops off. The big source of demand is, at the moment, the government, because it's covering its budget deficit. That's not likely to stop in the next uh, six months. And the private sector seem quite willing to pay these uh, very high rates of interest. Well, a little countrywide bank. Yeah, how, they, how things have changed. There. People sitting there at the, at the tills with their little coins, putting them out. Uh, very different way of doing TV back then. I think people will be pleased that interest rates aren't 20%, but no. there are concerns that interest rates will go up. What's interesting soon. is that tw- interest rates would have been rising at 20% then, but, 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 uh, but wages probably were going at 12% or something as well. So that sort of you get what you end up with with sort of what your real interest rate would have been wouldn't quite be as bad as 20. Here I am speaking in a generational to fight with baby boomers who always go, oh, interest rates are twenty percent in my day. <laughs> you guys don't know what it's like. Well, it's like, yeah, but your your incomes were rising at much higher rates and all this. Anyway, we won't go down that road. Um, but what I would want to say is, um, we did have our unemployment figures out this week, and it was kind of a bit of a strange one because it's kind of the last government's record because they're, they're a lagging indicator of the last three months. Um, 4.6%. So unemployment is coming right back to 4.6%. It's pretty low. I mean, Labor's goal is four. They're almost yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but the other thing was wages are showing some signs of starting to move. So about 1.9%, so nearly 2%, which is about the rate of inflation. So it's still not great. Um, but what they're seeing is the pay equity stuff starting to come through. And you're going to see a whole bunch of other things coming through once the pay rounds of teachers and all these other sort of things and the industrial relations changes. And there is just simmering away economists starting to talk about the prospect of inflation maybe coming back a little bit faster than, than, than perhaps the Reserve Bank thought, which means at the moment interest rates aren't expected to go up at all next year, but maybe in the next year, some are saying, watch out, that's when they might start to go again. But it's still, you know... And, and Winston Peters, him. of course, made that warning when he, he announced oh, uh, the government mean? that, you know, things are going to change. Don't blame us, though. These are, this is going to happen anyway. Well, and National yesterday were very quick to, uh, rightly so, to take credit for those unemployment figures. I thought what was interesting was I saw this morning, though, um, some hint that Labor is saying they are going to take a look at how those figures are collected, that yeah. they don't necessarily trust the data. You know, it's always, you know, what numbers do you do you trust and look at? But you can't keep national change the way they some of that was collected as well. You can't keep changing the way it's They are one the of the more volatile data sets. So yeah. you talk to economists, they'll tell you that they are more volatile. But uh, I have I have quite a bit of faith in statistics, New Zealand. But let's see. They've got to do a yeah. review. Um, I, yeah, I thought Winston was completely out of line with his um, sort of doomsday prophecy about the economy. Yes, of course, there is potential for some massive shocks to hit New Zealand. Um, but he's not. The, the here and now is not too bad. What, where he's right, obviously, is that immigration and population growth and um, housing have been, you know, big drivers of that growth, and we do need to shift it to other export-led stuff. That's all. He's all right, and in that's that, been but, talked about for a long but, time. But, but the key point is, you know, a, a, nobody wants the winter of discontent which we saw in 1999, where business sort of spat the dummy with the Labor government at that time, and then they broke down relations and it affected confidence. We have seen business confidence fall, um, and that's not good, because that means they're less likely to invest and hire. 
we no, it's in nobody's interest to, for us to start talking down the economy when the actual facts of the matter are that is that it's running at about two and a half percent. You know, unemployment's low, inflation's low. It's not. It's pretty solid. You know, it, we need confidence to be maintained. Um, it's in no one's interest, and National would be ag- agreeing on that. In opposition, I mean, you know, we want the confidence to, to be maintained because that's what will help drive businesses to invest and, and grow. So I, I just think Winston was just a bit out of line with that, and I'm sure that is not what Treasury has been telling this incoming government about the outlook. No, it just doesn't well, match. Labor needs to be really careful as well. Uh, around that whole the way they deal with business so they don't get nervy, so that doesn't happen. Because even I was talking to the new Employment Relations Minister, Ian Lees Galloway, yesterday, and I asked that because he was talking a lot about the changes that are going to be made around union bargaining and so forth and equal pay. They're ripping up the Equal Pay Act. Uh, gonna st- Bill, sorry, they're going to start all over again with that. We, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, are you concerned about how businesses are going to react to that? Because they will rightly so be, be, be nervy and worried about mm. employing people and, of course, increasing the minimum wage and so forth. And so how does Labor make sure that as they're talking about these changes and you're talking about all these other issues that, that people don't start to freak out and that then has sort of... Well, one thing, that I, think, one thing I think that has helped... Uh, I did see that story. Someone had written a story. I can't remember. I should give them the credit. I just can't remember who it was. It was stuff, I think. Um, they had... Uh, Ian Lees Galloway had talked about... Um, the, you know this issue of um, you know basically a, an award system, industry pay settlements. Yeah. You know where a bus, all bus drivers have to have a minimum pay, so an effectively a return to the old award system for some industries. And I think Jacinda Ardern said in an interview to me that it would only be three or four industries at a time. One thing that he, he seems to have ruled out is that they would not be able to strike. And I think that's quite an important point for businesses. So, yes, um, there'll be some industries where there would be a minimum standard established. And it would say, say, bus driver, you cannot pay lower than this and you have to negotiate above this for all bus drivers. That's the bottom. But that doesn't give – they can't strike over it. And yeah. I think that would be, and that's the type of thing which will help calm business. And Ian, Ian Lees Galloway said to me that he, uh, well, I mean, we we're talking about equal pay, but in general, that he wants to continue working with businesses and carry on the way they did with that, that initial equal pay negotiations were done, that joint working group were, were business unions and the yeah. government working together and, and, and industry reps, and that when they go back and look at this again, they want to do the same thing and work on those principles. And I think for that reason, Labor will keep that that way of doing things up, they will continue to try and work the business and yep. keep them involved and when they're looking yeah, at these they things. Have to, and they Grant have was to saying that, that on way. Sunday too, it has to try and be a partnership. Now there will be plenty that business do not, do not like, including the minimum wage. 90 day um, trial, yeah, interesting. sort of keeping it? How yeah, it's a very, it's a strange, it's actually interesting because, you know, at the time I remember, you know, the number of stories we did yeah. when it was introduced and Labor saying, absolutely no way, we're getting rid of it, you know, first thing we will do is get rid of the night. In fact, I think it was uh, David Cunliffe when he was leader said Cunliffe the first definitely thing wanted to get rid of yeah, it. It was like going to be the first thing he was going to do was get rid of the 90-day act. Uh, And now they're saying it'll stay, but basically employees will be able to dispute it. And go to a referee. And go to a a referee and say, no, this isn't correct, and the the employer won't be able to fight that. So it seems a very hard way to do it, which is weird because remember there was that data that came out that said the 90-day stuff had had no impact or hadn't helped. Yeah. Hadn't helped. Which is like the three strikes law. I mean, that's what they're saying about three strikes law, is that? Yeah, they obviously recognise... Again, to your point, they obviously recognise that business really likes it yeah. and likes the flexibility that it gives them. 
um, because it is a big issue for small businesses. Um, hiring staff is a massive issue for any small business, you know, because if they get it wrong, it's an absolute nightmare. Customer, yeah. So it does just give them that flexibility that if they if they get it wrong and they get then they get somebody that they really really can't deal with, and then then to, to to go through the process of of move, you know, of saying hey, it doesn't work, we need you to move on, can be quite difficult, and they end up with PGs and all sorts of things. So there is obviously an issue there. And when I've been out in the regions and talking to employers there who are taking on and factories and so forth who are taking on a lot of young people, they have said it helps them because it is a risk if you're willing to take someone off the dole or straight mm. out of school or something you know they've said that you know a lot of these employees have said so they're the, great so yeah. people so it does it, it's the abuse yeah. of it's the problem yeah. is that if and people are abusing the, it then it's yeah. a problem I mean I think that works for having just been talking about this but a story I did earlier this week about uh, about the three strikes law mm. and around these issues Jacinda Ardern putting her best foot forward on an international talk show. Certainly I feel a huge sense of responsibility. While her new ministers were wasting no time ripping up National's policies. The new Justice Minister throwing out the three strikes law. It's not acting as a deterrent. Um, and what it, what it is doing is putting more people in prison for longer periods of time. It's premised upon this idea of incapacitation and simply making it impossible for people to physically engage in crime, but it doesn't actually do anything to address the underlying drivers or causes of crime. The community will be less safe if they repeal that. What's the point in having more police bringing them in the front if they're just going to release them out the back? The law was introduced in 2010, meaning third-time offenders would face the maximum sentence. But it hasn't stopped the prison population rising rapidly. The problems that many have, including mental health problems, things like addiction, things like literacy and that, they're not getting fixed. That's what we have to fix if we want to stop recidivism. Private prisons are also gone, and Mr Little's considering tearing up the contract for a new 1,500-bed, $1 billion prison at Waikiria. The government will find that you can't tell the courts to stop sentencing people. And other ministers are working fast to repeal and replace National Party laws. National's Equal Pay Bill, introduced just months ago, will be scrapped by the Workplace Relations Minister as soon as possible. It didn't give female-dominated occupations the opportunity to compare with male-dominated occupations. He says he'll start from scratch, but work with business and unions to get it right. The government is getting rid of something without saying what's going to replace it. <laughs> These ministers, though, not losing a minute as they get their feet under their desks. I like the way um, Andrew Little was ripping up the, um, <laughs> yeah, the three strikes. literally tearing up the three strikes law. Uh, again, I mean, I don't know if I thought that was the first thing he would do um, as Justice Minister. He um, seems, I think that role's, the role of Justice Minister in treaty negotiations is going to be really good for him. He found it, you know, it was quite hard from losing the leadership and so forth. I don't know if he ever thought he'd actually be a minister. Um, but I think he'll be good in that role. And he's got a lot of work, though. It's a big job. Um, and, you know, the three strikes law is sort of an easy, easy way to start. But there's, there's you know, an increasing prison population. Um, there's not enough beds as it is for... for and, and, the, and the previous government had talked about uh, they were planning to build this new $1 billion, 1,500-bed well, prison well, and, and double bank. They're still going to build it, though, they? Well, Andrew Little said yesterday he's going to talk to Calvin Davis, the corrections minister, about tearing up that contract. And so and so the question is, as Bill English then said, was where are you going to put these people? You can't stop judges imprisoning people, you know, Andrew Little said, well, we have to work on the reasons for offending and recidivism and all that, but that's, that's not going to stop... That's medium to long that's, term. That doesn't stop the problem right now is that you need beds for people. Um, and Annie's talking about there'll be no more public-private prisons, so how do you build this new prison 
without doing it as a PPP, it's $1 billion. Yeah, is I mean, it? I suppose there is, yeah, the three strikes goes. There might, is there other, other lower-level offences they can look at trying to keep them suspended sentences, home detention, those sorts More of things? More restorative justice type. But that's also, you know, that's, that's potentially controversial as well, you know, if people feel that they're not, people aren't being punished properly. Um, law and order is a And none very, of that solves the drivers issue. of crime, which is what, you know, Andrew Little said he obviously needed some more advice from officials around some of this, but without addressing why this is happening, why is crime increasing, why are the number of people going to jail, why is that going up, that doesn't solve any of those no. problems. No, I mean, a part of it too must be just population growth as well. I mean, yes. putting aside immigration, it's also actually there are more New Zealanders being born. There is, you know, population, the overall population is increasing by about 2% in New Zealand. So that's going to put pressure on whatever you do. And I thought it was interesting, the other um, uh, point that Andrew Little made is he wants to look at changing, again, those family court reforms that Amy Adams had done a lot of work on. Now, this is interesting because Judith Collins had started work on it as Justice Minister. Amy Adams took over. So Simon Power, actually, had, had, yep. had started on it. Judith Collins came in, ripped up a lot of what Simon Power had done. Amy Adams came in, carried on, tried to change things a bit more. A lot of work has been done in this area. And now Andrew Lill's saying he wants to make changes again. He says he's already had a number of emails and calls from people who are really unhappy with the way the family I think he'll be well suited to those roles. Yeah. You know, he's tough. Um, he's, uh, you know, and he will be still getting over the disappointment of what happened. Um, oh, he seems very happy this week, I, I though. He's he, loving I think it. He, I think for the first time probably yeah. since then, he's probably um, realising that, hey, he's actually landed in a pretty good place and um, has got a big role to play in this government and a very important role and some meaty stuff to sink his teeth into. So he, he, he'll be... A, he'll be um, Jacinda Ardern's pretty lucky to have him. He'll be a good performer. Yeah, I think he'll be a good minister and I think, you know, there's I do a lot think, to learn. I do think it's going to be a very, very difficult um, period uh, you know, for these ministers to get their heads around all this new stuff. They haven't got press secretaries yet. They're still moving in. They're all trying to, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And good on them. You know, they're coming in, they're hungry, they're, they're full of beans, and I could see it all when they were being sworn in. And, um, you know, that, but it's, there's going to be some missteps and mishaps along the way. You yeah, just, you can you get that I sense. can tell. And, you know, because they say we want to do this. And obviously when you're in opposition, you can say pretty much anything you want that this is what we're going to do. And, of course, we're all, all the reporters are going now and interviewing them and saying, well, are you going to do this? Or how soon know, are you going to do like this? And how is this going to work? And how much is it going to cost? Because that's what we want to know, right? And, and, you know, they're talking about mental health and we're going to set up a mental health commission and have an inquiry. And, of course, you go, well, when is this going to happen? How soon is it going to start, how much is it going to cost? And they don't know. And they all all the no. ministers keep saying to me, well, we're going to have to go, we have to get advice from the officials. And I think for them, all of a sudden, it's like, They're going oh, to wait to a minute, patient. this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. They're you just going to have to just... be patient and wait for those processes to play themselves out and get settled so that they can then go through those processes and use the officials as they need to. I mean, costings is an issue, obviously. They haven't been able to cost the coalition agreements, or they won't tell us what the extra cost is, costings are in any detail. But in saying that, you've got the likelihood of a mini budget, you will have the December fiscal economic update, um, and then obviously the budget in May. So I don't think it's unreasonable for Grant Robertson to have some time to pull all this together, but at some point he's going to have he's, to reveal how he's made all this work, yeah. and he's under some pressure, because he doesn't have a lot of room outside of his education and health, we know yeah. that. No, no, $11.7 no <laughs> a hole, but he's tight. Yeah. And um, I think what you'll see... I think I saw this mentioned somewhere is that the like the billion dollars for the regional funding is the big issue, right? You've yeah. got to find the money for that? that. I think a lot of that will be capital spending. Yeah. 
it'll be new wharfs and new factories and new whatever, which they can fund out of capital, which is effectively borrowing. Yeah. And it won't have to come out of operational spending, so they won't affect this budget that so much. I think the, they've put a lot of pressure on themselves with this 100 days deadline as well, is, is by saying they wanted, there's so much they want to do in that yeah. first 100 days, and until they know how much they've, they can actually spend in some of these areas or how they're going to make it work, it, it just actually adds pressure. I know why they want to do it, and yep. it's a nice political thing to say, but actually the busy. reality yeah. of it is is actually a lot harder, and I think, um, I think what we'll see is a lot of of saying, okay, this is what we're going to do, but we have to wait till next year's budget in May for the funding to be allocated. But we want the work done beforehand so it's ready to go. Yes. Rather than, you know, usually you get funding in the budget in yeah. May and it's going to start in April the next year. Yeah. They, I think, are going to want to say, okay, funding's allocated, we want it to start. Yeah. Well, that's a good sooner. place for us to finish, Katie, because the speech from the throne yes, by ne- the Governor General, yep. Dame Patsy Reddy, will be uh, on Tuesday, is it? Big. Yes, Tuesday. Uh, no, uh, no, no, Wednesday. So, Wednesday. Wednesday. so the, the, that official, you know, dragged the speaker and the new speaker and What is and it, so the forth. black rod? The black rod dra- dragged Knocking in. on the door. Although, interestingly... Um, is the black rod the person? Yes, yes, the, and carries the... I've got to remind myself. The black <laughs> rod's the person is, and then they carry the, the mace thing. What? Yeah, and Trevor Mallard <laughs> is expected to be the... Widely expected to be the new speaker. Uh, usually the new speaker is dragged in. That's right. But uh, don't forget, Trevor Mallard will be the first speaker who has uh, been involved in a fight just outside the debating chamber. So whether he's going to want the imagery of being dragged into the house... Trevor will be a great speaker. He will be very good. Let me put that on the... I played rugby with Trevor when he... Just at the end of his career for the parliamentary rugby team. And boy, um, every player on the other team wanted to try and take him out. And it was feisty. Um, But he was an excellent rugby player. He... He's tough, but he he will be a good speaker. He he's it's good having someone who's been around the. Yeah, around I think the he's very block. excited. About, he, he is very excited works. about it, and I think he'll be. He won't be, be soft good. on the government. No, do you know what I mean? No. Once you become speaker, you have to almost. If you're not, if you if you are seen as soft on the government, well, then you lose your credibility. So he 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 can't go overcompensate, but he, he I think he'll be fine. He'll yeah. be good. Yeah, and then, so, yeah, then Wednesday is the speech speech, well, the speech the throne where they will outline their program for the three years. So yeah. that's where we will get the more detail on that hundred day plan. Yeah. Yep, and then you're off to APEC. Off to APEC, and we'll report from there. So that's us. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, You can catch us, of course, every Friday morning on the One News Facebook page, iTunes and SoundCloud. We'll see you next week. See you next week.